Bitcoin is this unbelievably unparalleled asset that respects your time spent and your labor, and it puts it into this safe and growing in value bank in cyberspace, as uh, Sailor says. But you can screw it up if you lever it. Levering Bitcoin literally inverts 180 degrees the way that Bitcoin otherwise respects your time. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S, and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months, and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about Wow, what is it, like four months now? And I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me, and I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, 
which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Andy. Hey. Peter. Hey, 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 hey. How you doing, man? Great to be with you, man. Great to be with you in beautiful Malibu. We're looking out uh, on a Friday afternoon into the uh, soon-to-be setting sun. We got ourselves a nice single malt from Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, shout out actually to Brett Morrison, who uh, who turned me on to this one. Good Bitcoiner, LA guy. I was with Brett. When was I with Brett? Yesterday or day before? When I was late? Day before. Day before. I was with Brett. I went and had lunch with him and Rich Roll in some vegan place up uh, in Agora Hills. Dude, perfect. So so this was a gift actually from, from Brett. And I was like, well, I'm going to bust it open with Peter. Uh, he'll hopefully appreciate it, and uh, of course I sampled the goods in advance, you know, just to make sure that yeah. uh, that it was that it was kosher. That yeah, yeah, li- little sip. <laughs> Brett's a good guy, man. Yeah, absolutely, great Bitcoiner, really yeah. smart guy. You know, used to work for I don't want to say his name. Used to work for uh, a man who runs an electric car company and a space company, and I think he worked at the space company as pretty senior there. And well, we have this mutual friend, Rich Roll, who's the reason I podcast. That's right. Was he? He was your original contact. That was like Peter. You got to do it, right? Rich Roll was the guy where, by like, um, the, the story goes. After my divorce, I um, recovering from some addictions, maybe <laughs> a little bit lost in the world. Uh, and my mom had gone vegan, and I went vegan with her. And I was uh, I bought a new car. My friend was like, "You need to get this podcast. You can, can, you know, when you're driving." So I started like i was looking up veganism podcasts i found rich roll i was listening to that and then i googled him and he was running some yoga running retreat in italy so i was like cool i'm gonna just go there was one place left so i got on this retreat and uh, and my marriage had been a really short marriage because it collapsed and he'd been through a similar situation it was in his book even shorter he wrote me this note and this uh, week was really, it's like a really weird emotional event. Like uh, 40 people who all had some fucked up <laughs> stuff going on. And at the end of the week, we all talked about the week and spent about three hours in a circle crying our eyes out. And I was like, I love you, Rich, man. Thank you so much for this. And then he was like, if you're ever in LA, look me up. And I was like, okay. So I got home and I was like, right, I'm just going to go. So I booked a flight to LA and I was like, hi, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna be your friend. Uh, And anyways, but I was like, I really like your life. You just, you have this cool life. You just go around the world interviewing people and that's your job. I want that job. How do you do it? And he was like, you need a Shure mic, a Zoom H6, which we've got somewhere here about the sixth one we've had. He said, that's what you need. And he said, follow this course. It was, um, what's it called? Uh, Pat Flynn's How to Podcast course. So I read yeah. that. And then I emailed Luke Martin or DM Luke Martin on Twitter. I said, hey, I'm going to launch a podcast. You're in LA. Do you want to do it? And probably around, I don't know, 20 minutes from here, I, I met Luke Martin and recorded WBD001 four years and three months ago. And so it all began. So it all began. Yeah. So, this is, so LA's got to have a special place in your heart for that reason alone. I mean, many reasons. I we were we had Nick Bartier on this morning. Brilliant. And I was just telling how much I, I love it. I mean, I love California. And there's a lot of reasons not to like it if you're a professional Bitcoiner because it's uh, a little bit more lefty, a little bit more woke. It's got some bullshit rules. But I fucking, I love California, man. And I love Los Angeles. This is the trade, right, Peter? This is the, uh, 
you know, taxes are outrageous. The policies are horrendous. And then pan the camera, guys, if you don't mind, out to the to the coast here on Malibu. Out to the Pacific. In case anyone's not aware, it's uh, 66 degrees out. Uh, I believe it's February. <laughs> this is why people live in L.A. And, you know, I've never really struggled with the traffic in L.A. because I've always based myself somewhere and just stayed there. So we're in Malibu this week, and we're just going to stay here. Yeah. We, we go to Santa Monica maybe just to go watch the football. Or I've based myself in – usually I base myself between Santa Monica and Venice. Never leave the two. Love Venice. I love the ridiculous nature of Abbott Kenny. I love <laughs> paying $152 for one slice of avocado and toast. <laughs> and uh, I like going to Aviator Nation and getting a ridiculously overpriced hoodie. Uh, no, I love it. I love it, dude. Uh, I I envy you living here. It's a it's a beautiful part of the world. And generally speaking, I think the people here are pretty great. Yeah, you know, my feeling about L.A., L.A. sometimes gets a bad rap. And the reality is, in a city of whatever, 20 million plus people, I think, in greater L.A., if you can't find your people, like if you can't find the group, whatever you're seeking that you want, then it's kind of on you, right? Like you kind of failed. It, the, it, this city contains multitudes. It contains people from all over the world. It contains, you know, every everything from, uh, you know, just Hollywood addicts yep. to intellectuals. You know, I grew up in Pasadena, okay, which is 15 miles from here, you know, which is the home of the Huntington Gardens and Caltech, some of the smartest people in the world. You know, and you got between that and, and Malibu and everything in between. Calabasas for the hippies. <laughs> Santa Monica for the VCs. Exactly. Silicon Beach. Silicon Beach. You got uh, Venice for, which is, Venice has got the coolest homeless people in the world. Oh my God. The original, arguably. I mean, in terms of like, I'm sad to say with the with the homeless trend, you know, through the country, I feel like it started, uh, it started here, which makes... A decent amount of sense considering that it's a little easier to be homeless when it's 66 degrees in February. There's always that weird thing though. It's like you've got those 15 million pound or 15 million dollar properties on the beachfront and right in front of them is uh, like a large homeless population but somehow it kind of works. Everyone kind of mixes and I always liked it because in that it's like the one part of the world where you've got this group of, well it's not the one, there's probably others people say shut up Pete you idiot. <laughs> but the <clears throat> homeless people they kind of find a trade on that boardwalk. I, I took, I brought my kids here. God, my daughter must have been about six, so about, you know, about five years ago, I brought my kids here. Took them down to Venice, and we we walked up and down, and there was this dude. <laughs> this dude, he was doing bad advice for a dollar. And I was like, kids, do you want some bad advice? And I'm like, yeah. So I took my daughter up, and she gave him a dollar, and he said, when you grow up, in about twelve years, you should become a hooker. <laughs> and I was like. Okay, that's not that's not what I thought. We walked out. She's like, "Daddy, what's a?" I was like, "Jesus Christ!" But but like like all up and down uh, Venice, you've got people. You know, it's quite a creative artsy scene, uh, and I love it. I love it, man. I love it here. I could I could live here. Yeah, well, you know, it's always open to you. Uh, you can spend time. You can spend a lot of time. You can spend a little time. Uh, all the LA Bitcoiners will be happy to see you. We'll have you do a Bitcoiner barbecue. You just want me to tell people how good your barbecues are. Don't you? <laughs> Andy Edstrom is an amazing host. Andy puts on a great barbecue with a great fire pit. You're very kind. In fairness, it was Nick. Uh, you know, Nick was co-host, so give him give him credit where uh, where due. But uh, 
yeah, we had a great time with you and uh, hope to do it again. Yeah, man. So how you been? You good? I'm good. I mean, gosh, it's a strange time right now in Bitcoin, but it, when is it not? Uh-huh. And, uh, but look, I got, I got three kids. My youngest is almost 11 months now. She's a joy. So, you know, doing my part to make more Bitcoiners. How, uh, how old are you, Andy? Can you say? I'm 40, P- Peter. You're a little bit younger than me. Just, yeah. Just a smidge. But you are, you're at the, you still at the starting end with an 11 month old. Yeah. Can, can you believe that? I just restarted the clock, right? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Dude, you're a psychopath. Uh, I'm about to, well, you never stop the clock. But the first is about to fly, fly from home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mix, mixed feelings about that, right? Yeah, definitely. Get, get, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about it before and I get quite emotional thinking about it because it's a big step. They think they know everything. They think they're ready and you know now. You you realize when you're 18, you think, yeah, I, when I was 18, I knew everything. And you look back and you're like, yeah, I was a fucking moron. I didn't know shit. So you worry, but like you also get excited for them just to go into the world and find themselves. But yeah, mixed, mixed feelings about it. Um, I have no idea. Where it ha- how it happened it, it doesn't feel like 18 years ago that the was in Bedford Hospital and this little tiny blob of flesh was given to me and I was looking at it going shit uh, and here we are 18 years later so. it, it is a miracle yeah my son is 9 now and uh, I yeah I have no idea where the time went got no. got to pay attention to that stuff I am I'll, I'll say one thing I'm grateful for about the pandemic is I spend a lot more time at home now. I don't commute as much. I don't go to the office as much. So I get to, so it's a different experience actually. I'm sort of experiencing uh, this baby because I'm actually around in a way that I wasn't before when I was gone to the office all day. Yeah, that's a, that's the crazy thing about this pandemic, right? There's been obviously a lot of terrible things have happened. A lot of people got sick. A lot of people have died. Yeah. A lot of breakdowning, social cohesion, anger against the government there's so much bullshit that's happened but there's been a lot of upside to it the fourth shift in society where people have reconsidered what they want to do how they want to work how much time they want with their family and many people are not going to go back to their old life of commutes i mean i don't know where you worked but i have friends and bed when you live in bedford you're a commuter town yep. you, you commute to london you get up at six you're on the train by seven and then you're on the six or seven o'clock train home, you're home by eight, nine, and you miss most of the day. You miss a lot of your kids' uh, childhood, and a lot of my friends aren't going back to that. That's got to be great for Bedford, right? I mean, now you can, more people can reasonably live a bit farther out of the city. They can make their lives there, you know, other than, oh, bedroom community, and that's home, but I'm in the city all day. Now they can actually go to the pub in Bedford rather than in the city. There's a lot of good things happening in Bedford right now, my friend. A lot of good things. I tell you what, what happened today, Danny, I, I didn't even tell you this. Have you ever heard of the band Don Broco? No. I might not pronounce it correctly. So that's a band that went to the same school as me. They've got the number one album in the UK charts today. No a way. Bedford band. That's fantastic. Happening in Bedford. We've got, we got the number one band. we got the number one Bitcoin podcast. We're gonna have the number one football club. You are Bedford is Bedford is basically if we had a if we had the ocean, we'd be the L.A. of England. What, what are you booking? <laughs> what are you gonna What are you gonna book that band uh, for the for the halftime show for uh, for your team? Well, it's funny you should say that. They reached out to me on Twitter. 
Yeah, that's so amazing. They, they that's pinged awesome. me and they were like, uh, yeah, we think everything you're doing with this club's amazing. I was like, didn't we go to the same school? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, cool. And they said, well, look, if you ever want to come to a show, let me know. And actually, my cousin Charlie is a huge fan. So I messaged her on Facebook the other day and I was like, you like Don Broco, don't you? She's like, yeah. I mean, I might pronounce the name wrong. She's like, yeah. I was like, do you want to go and see them? They're doing like a, a pre release party and get you on the guest list. She was like, oh my God, yeah. So she went and she loved it. And they're going to be doing a residence. We've got a club in Bedford called the Squires. It's like a quite famous rock club. If you are a growing rocker indie band, it was always on the tour. They're going to be doing a residency there, I think, for about a week. So, yeah, I'm going to go and have a beer with them, get to know them. And I think they're going to be the band of the club. I love it. Hopefully, come and, uh, come and play a show for us one time. But, yeah, Bedford is an ascending ascending town absolutely well look i had i had fun watching the game the other day and dis- despite the outcome Ugh. i had you know a good time talking to bitcoiners and watching the watching the first half actually they were they were decent to strong in the first half and it was fun to watch and uh in the second half it was it was fine because you know i got to talk bitcoin with vj well give us some time we are slowly slowly nudging this thing forward and uh, i'm very confident this will be one of the most big popular bitcoin projects over the next few years if we get it right so fingers crossed but thanks for coming down i I don't know if you'll come into the game on saturday it's an early one it's 7 a.m 7 a.m all right i'm gonna i'm gonna try you can bring that's tomorrow 7 7 a.m tomorrow yeah basically all right well i better lay i better lay off the uh lay off the scotch here well we'll see we'll see (laughs) it's early though we can just drink through. We can have a scotch at 11.30 tomorrow. Let me try this. Just don't stop. That's pretty special. It's, it's, uh, it's Oh, that's really, really unique. It's really not bad. This is a proper Friday afternoon show. We're just talking shit. I love it. I love it, man. Listen, uh, you wrote an article recently. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, basically, I wrote an article about how Bitcoin is the most ESG friendly asset in my client's portfolios. Did you? That's not what I was talking about. Oh, well, that's the most recent one. Which one are you talking about? I want about? to talk about the, 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 the Don't Get Wrecked article. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't Get Wrecked. So, But we'll come back to that because I want to talk about that. I, I, I'm trying to get a show in with Dan Moorhead yeah. where he wrote this article about uh, uh, Bitcoin ESG and he was saying everyone's focused on the E, which is directionally moving in the most positive way for the uh, those who care about the climate. He said, no one focuses on the S and the G, which Bitcoin kills on. So I do want to talk to you about that. Exactly right. I'm glad you said that. Exactly right. We'll come back to that. Let's talk about Don't Get Wrecked, though. Just as somebody who got so fucking publicly wrecked, I understand those feelings. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? So, by the way, one of the reasons... So I wrote this article, I I think it was March of last year. So we were probably six weeks from the epic dump, right? We were six weeks from China ban and Elon and all that stuff. And the thrust of the article was, don't get wrecked. It was, we're in a bull market. It's probably going to be great. I think we're going to go to six figures. By the way, I was wrong. <laughs> we were all wrong. We were. We were. We were also wrong. We were also wrong. But, what film's that? That's from a film. We were all... oh, Prometheus. Know. Oh, that's check. I had yeah. to, I had we to revisit. Wrong. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, um, so yeah, it was good times. And the reason I wrote the article was it was basically a scenario for the next bear market, right? And the 
the admonition of the article was, please, plebs, please, people, please, Bitcoiners, who I know and love, many of you I don't know, but I still love you, don't use leverage because leverage can crush you. And the scenario I laid out was, okay, you know, you get the halving, so price moves up, then you get the follow through, you know, big announcements, certain new people show up, Michael Saylor, for example. Um, you get the follow through in the bull market and then eventually you get the retail pile in and the blow off top. And then, so that's usually the way it's gone in history. Uh, and then you get a reversal and then the whales, the old timers, the OGs say, oh, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> I'm out. And then the pain kicks in because those who are levered long, right, get, get wrecked. And it didn't shape out that way exactly because obviously we didn't get to hit six figures but unfortunately we did get a catalyst uh which was obviously china and so we got the levered liquidation the downward move and so you know that was almost a year ago exactly and i still feel like uh i just don't know if lessons were learned i just feel i just worry i just worry for the people using leverage i worry for the plebs and i'm kind of a broken record on this but but I think that there's a categorical difference. This is what people, I always struggle to explain, like, why is it different? What is different about leverage? And I think people look at it as a matter of degree. They say, oh, I'm just taking incrementally more risk. You know, I'm just, whatever, I'm just posting a few coins and I'm adding a little bit of exposure and, and it's reasonable and I'll be fine. But I actually think it is a categorical binary difference between having leverage and having no leverage. Because if you can support your lifestyle, either with your fiat job or your cash savings, you know, what, what have you, if you have enough runway, you are truly bulletproof, at least with respect to Bitcoin price risk, right? You can, you can ride through that cycle. You can ride up the highs, you can ride down the lows and not get pushed off your stack. Well, you can't leverage in cold storage. Also true. Which is an which is another you know it's all the more reason right to to not lever. I'm not I'm only talking about economic risk right now. I'm only talking about oh you know the risk basically that your stack gets yanked. But add that add that fact that yeah. you have to post collateral. You have to hand your coins to some third party who may or may not lose them, may or may not get hacked. If and when they get hacked or you know stolen from either inside job or outside hack may or may not disclose it could be running fractional reserve may or may not be able to accept more collateral if you try to post more collateral to defend your position in a downturn which we know has happened to very popular bitcoiners there's a specific case uh with bitmex of a fund i think it was uh oh, what was the name of the guy did the show with Pomp. Oh, God. Mm. Disappeared. Did that really great show with Pomp. Uh, anyway, they're fund. Yeah. They were leveraged. Yeah. They tried to post. But because the market was cascading down, they could not get onto BitMEX. That's right. Literally, could, they're like, here, take my, please take my coins. Take my coins. And, and the counterparty said, I don't know, or sites down or... Right. Mm. So, uh, and by the way, I, I know of numerous cases, I'm not going to name names, but you know, I'm reminded of, I met some great Bitcoiners at Bitcoin 2019 
some of whom have lived in LA, uh, some of whom got utterly wrecked, who were running funds, who were levered long in March of 2020, one of whom may have been on your show <laughs> or more. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just no way to live. I mean, it's your, and your downside, people forget what I hear constantly is, oh, I'll just borrow a little. I'll borrow, I'll, po I'll post 10 coins and I'll borrow one coin. And so all that does is open up the, albeit low probability, that you lose your whole stack because flash crash down 90%. Wick, wick down. Wick down. And they yank the collateral. Yep. And I just, I have lived personally, Peter, we can, you know, I can talk about this if you want. I have personally gotten wrecked before. Never like personal bankruptcy or anything that extreme. But there were times earlier in my career when I thought it was a good idea to speculate in FX markets, euros and yen. You know, I started first decade of my career was bottoms up security analysis, fundamental investing. And then the second half was wealth management, which was much more macro investing across asset classes all across the world. And so like every noob macro investor, I saw, I found currencies and I found the yen trade classic, uh, classic trade, right? Japan. Oh, Japan is too much debt. So either they're going to default or they're going to devalue the currency, you know, cause they print so much of it to, to solve the debt problem. Oh, so I'm going to short Japan. The first uh, day I figured this out, I, I called my broker. This is interactive brokers to get set up to trade futures. Okay. And I wanted to trade bond futures and I wanted to trade currency futures. And for whatever reason, they got the bond futures set up first. And so I was so excited. I was going to trade JGB futures. So I put on the position at like 10 o'clock at night and I wake up the next morning and I'm down 10 grand. <laughs> I wanted to put on the FX position, right? The, the JPY position, but I wasn't enabled for that. So I was like, well, I'm bearish on your fan, so I'll put on the bond trade. Okay, immediately down 10 grand. So eventually I figured out how to put on the FX position. And uh, then I decided that I heard Stan Druckenmiller, who was bearish on the Euro, I decided I'd put on a Euro trade. And uh, that got margin called. So I basically risked uh, most of my, you know, most of my taxable savings with leverage. And I got margin called on part of it. I can't remember if his ECB or the Fed came out with some announcement and it moved against me. So I went to the bank where I had my home equity line of credit and I drew it completely, probably 150 grand. This and is how much we already down. Yeah. I don't know. 50 to, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and hundred K. Well, in a handful of days. Oh yeah. Like in a day. Okay. And this was by the way, almost 10 years ago. You were gambling. Basically, I was gambling. I had uh, I had a thesis, and this is what you just said. Basically, you're gambling. Yeah, I had a thesis, and yet you learn what when you're levered, it is gambling. Uh huh. So I took out the home equity line, probably 150, somewhere between 150 and 200 grand. Doubled down on the position. Thank God it moved. It reverted, okay. which is something that happens in in foreign exchange markets. Uh, as people know, uh, you get an overshoot and then you get a retracement. The dead cat bounce. Well, 
because I had doubled down and increased my exposure and I had only gotten stopped out of part of my stack, uh, I ended up with a nice profit. So you took it out, you withdrew, you took your profits and you said, I did well here and you walked away. Yeah, if, uh, if, if, only, only, that I, if only that were true. And so then in around 2016, in November, I decided to get bearish on yen again. And uh, something happened in November 2016. There was an election. Uh, and I was on the road at the time visiting clients. And I had my open position short yen when Donald, Donald Trump uh, uh -huh. won the election. And it was risk off. And literally that trade reversed like it was it it was it would have been profitable within a day, but the overnight panic, right? The wick down, Bitcoiners know how this works, stopped me up. That one I think I lost, I don't know, forty or fifty K in a night. Okay. Okay. Long story, what's the point? The point is uh the point is leverage will will stop you out and will lose you money. And that's just in pairs like euros and yen and, and dollars where a 2% move is big. And we're talking about Bitcoin, which is the most volatile major asset in the world. And so, yeah, leveraging Bitcoin, I, I feel is a, is a ticket to pain. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it doesn't hurt to be, uh, to be reminded of these things now and then. What was your total wrecked position? Did you keep going back and lose everything? No, no, I, you know, these were, well, first of all, these were, I gave you some numbers there and this was between 10 and eight years ago. So this was, you know, I mean, to me, real money, to most people, real money. Um, but no, I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't lose my whole stack. I didn't pull like a uh, go levered long in the internet bubble and, you know, literally lose the whole thing. Um, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I have some level of uh, risk aversion and some level of fear of my wife, Peter, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that I that I didn't uh, bet the farm. Back in 2000, I think it was about 2014. No, it was before then. 2013, I think it was. Uh, I discovered plus 500 and trading CFDs. And oh God. Uh, I did quite well to begin with. And I was like, this is easy. And I was on a train journey down to, I can't remember where it was. It's down on the south coast of the UK to see my family. <clears throat> and I had my laptop and I had my phone and via my laptop. I was connected to the internet. And what I noticed this first time I was really trading stocks. I was trading Tesla back then because Tesla was when Tesla first started to shoot. Mm. And I was like, it seems to go up about like a thumb like, look at the graph. Things would go up about a thumb, and it seems to come down about a thumb. So what I would do is I'd go long, short, long, short. And I was like, this is easy. <laughs> Occasionally, I get it slightly wrong. But on this train journey, I turned, I don't know, 2,000 pounds to 4,000 and four into six, yada, yada. Feels good. Get to the end of the day, and I'm holding. I'm, I don't close out. I'd gone to a short position and then the day closes. Mm. Overnight. Yeah, so I've got this short position. Not just overnight, over weekend. It was Friday. And I was like, anyway, but no, I wasn't thinking anything of it. I was like, this is sweet. 
made all this money on this train journey, thousands of pounds, get in the train to work on the Monday, get to work, and then, like, obviously we're in the UK, time's ahead, and there's the the pre-hours trading, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. the pre-market. And, like, some news comes out about Tesla, their numbers, and the the pre-market shoots up and I'm looking at my account and it says what well, I'm down and then the market opens done <laughs> done the whole account wiped out it was th- thousands of pounds and I felt sick to my stomach I remember I remember going outside of work and I phoned my um my wife at the time ex-wife now and I said I I need to tell you something because I feel sick really sick and I explained it to her and she's very cool about it went home we talked about it and I agreed I wouldn't do it again obviously I did because I'm a degenerate <laughs> but like I learned so much from that moment that utter awful feeling of getting financially fucked and it's it's not the total amount of money it's the going from a lump to a nothing it could have been a thousand ten thousand it didn't matter but like boom, it's gone in a second and I felt shit that's pain as you say you feel it in your gut and there's one the one silver lining of learning those hard lessons and again you know i i hammer on i bang on about you know don't use leverage blah 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 grandpa grandpa you know shaking his finger at you and the reason i do that is yeah because i've i've lost money that way and the one silver lining that some people get is hopefully you find the casino, the leverage casino early in life and wreck yourself early before you have real assets at risk. Real opportunity. And real opportunity, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that is the one benefit, you know, that's the one thing I do like about whatever, this whole Robin Hood generation, you know, YOLOing levered options. Because hopefully, knock wood, a decent number of these guys will be playing with money that isn't accumulated life savings, right? It's not it's not their nest egg that they've been scraping together for a couple of decades. It's what they earned in their 20s and they could afford the losses and they'll go through the cycle and they'll say, ah, I learned some lessons and uh, at least I, w- I won't put myself in a position where I can li- literally get zeroed out. So hopefully that's how it goes. That's the optimistic take. Danny, do you remember back in 2018 that couple from New Zealand who phoned me up who got wrecked? No, I don't remember that at all. So 2018, excuse me, I got this email from this uh, lady. She was like, uh, I know you got wrecked in 2000, because I did a Twitter thread on how I'd got wrecked. Uh, Quite a popular thread at the time. I will come back to what happened there. Um, But she got in touch and she said, oh, you know, we're we're in a tricky position and we need some advice. Can you talk to me? And I was like, sure, I'll talk to you. I mean, I'm not sure what advice I can give. And basically, they got into Bitcoin, got into shit coins, made some money, remortgaged their house, mm. put all their savings in, and they kind of lost everything. As the market dumped, they would double down and wait and double down. And it was, I mean, I, I forget because the call was so long ago, but... I feel like it was like 250,000 went down to thousands. Ugh. They lost everything. Got wrecked on shit coins. 
and they had a young baby and they destroyed everything they'd taken years to accumulate the whole life they'd wanted to build so i'm with you i completely agree i actually think getting wrecked is a super important lesson uh i've it had is. it i've had it three times in three different ways I, the little little tesla story i told you there uh my company yeah crashing after my divorce and a company i spent eight years building died within a year uh, a company that could have sold for millions and then my 2017 crypto reckoning well, 17 18 uh, the last one the best one <laughs> and it led me andy to when people say how do i do this how do i trade well, it's like firstly you don't trade the best thing you can do is stack hard or deep storage don't leverage don't don't do shit coins and then find a job you like work hard earn money keep working hard keep earning money and keep stacking it's just that's the this it, to me it's the only play in town I agree. I agree. It's the, you know, the story you just described of the couple that had saved presumably for years and then lost it all. That could have had, I mean, they did it on altcoins, but they could have done it in Bitcoin. That's, that's the, when you lever Bitcoin, you turn it into a shitcoin, right? You turn it into an altcoin, yeah. at least in terms of the downside risk. And so you save your time. Bitcoin is this unbelievably unparalleled asset that that respects your time spent and your labor and it puts it into this safe and growing in value bank and cyberspace as uh as a sailor says but you can screw it up if you lever it because if you lever it that doesn't respect your time levering bitcoin literally inverts 180 degrees the way that Bitcoin otherwise respects your time. Danny, do you have a getting wrecked story? Uh, I've got two getting wrecked stories. The f you know I'm talking about one specifically. Yeah, right? I know. We can get to that. Uh, but in 2017, I got pre-wrecked. Uh, I didn't have that much money in at the time, but I got into like ICOs, all that bullshit, and turned everything that I'd done sort of quite well throughout the year into basically nothing to start again. Um, but then like earlier this year, and then, oh no, sorry, last year in May, uh, I was away for my birthday and I, I got like, I get, the, my problem is I get super bullish. I get way too bullish. Um, he, and, he gives me a call. He says, Pete, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> so I should have known it was a top because I just bought myself a watch. Um, but <laughs> so, so, so I, it was only quite a small like leverage long. I wasn't super leveraged, but I was leveraged long. Went to sleep and it was like that day when it went from, I don't know, 60 to like 52 or something, got wiped out. But it was bad, but I hadn't put like my whole stack on there, or, but it fucking hurts. Yeah, it really it's, hurts. Br that's, that's brutal. That's the pain. It was, and, your, it was your Christmas bonus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at least, and this is what I'd say to people is like, look, if you want to lever part of your stack, first of all, don't assume you're going to follow your money, right? Like mm -hmm. don't say, oh, I'm going to post, again, I'm using round numbers. I'm going to post 10 coins and I'm going to borrow another 10. So I'm 50% levered. But it's okay because if price goes down, I'll just post more collateral. Mm -hmm. That's a, I think, bad way to go. What I think is... And that that's kind of what happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. There you go. And so what you should say is instead, look, pick the leverage level that you're going to pick. 
be ready to walk away from it. Yeah. Assume it's going to get vaporized immediately in an instant and just be okay with that. Yeah. You want to do that with 10% of your stack? You want to gamble? Okay. Have at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just just expect that uh, that it's a zero. I have two different types of leverage I use. I've got essentially one leverage position open and a different type of leverage. And these are the ones I think, the first one I don't think everyone should do, but some can do. So during the bull run of last year, we went up to something like 30 and we crashed to 17 and a half thousand. I just got out of bed and I was like, this is a buying opportunity. I've got no dry powder. Went online, went onto the bank. I was like, how much money will you give me right now? 35,000 pounds. I was like, great, great. 2.55 Bitcoin. Took the loan, bought the Bitcoin, pushed to cold storage. And I'm at least in a, I'm doubled up at least there. Like what am I low? 150% up. Right, great trade. That's a trade and that's a leverage trade I can make. One, it's early stage bull market, but two, I will always have that Bitcoin because it's in cold storage. Can I service the loan? I can service the loan. I've got successful company business. Now, I posted that on Twitter and other people have come to me and said, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you think I should? And I, I'm like, I cannot tell you what to do. The reason I could do this is because I can service the loan easily. I can Amen. pay the loan off in one lump if I want now, but one of the things I've learned is taking long-term debt to buy Bitcoin is actually a very good trade. The other leverage position I take is I get paid in Bitcoin by some of my sponsors and I keep it in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a that's a different kind of leverage trade. So one of them last year, they paid the whole year upfront in Bitcoin and I've got another sponsorship renewal coming and I've offered them and I, I offered both times is you pay the whole year upfront in Bitcoin, it's a 10% discount. So they get their 10% discount, I get it in Bitcoin. Now, these are cycle and price dependent, but they're, they're the only leverage trades I make now. Now we're talking. So I like, I like this, uh, this discussion. Well, actually, let me throw in a third one. Sorry, it's similar to the first one. I'm buying a new house. Yeah. And to my mortgage broker, I said, I want the longest term mortgage with the most borrowed money possible. I want to have the smallest deposit possible, and I want it over the longest term yes. because I am long Bitcoin for life. So they're the ones I do make. And these are the good types of leverage. Yeah. So I agree with the strategy. Um, term debt is completely different. It's night and day from margin debt. The margin debt where you got your Bitcoin collateral posted where they can yank the rug on you, completely different from term debt like you described. You borrow from the bank. As long as you can make that interest payment, which is a because interest rates are so low, is a tiny fraction of the total principal. As long as you can fund that, you're fine. This is why mortgage debt is amazing, right? I mean, it's also government subsidized, but as long as you can make that mortgage payment and it's a multi-year term, you're good. Um, so I believe in that type of debt. That, by the way, as people know, is what Michael Saylor does. Yes, uh, yes his convertible bonds mostly are in the money however if god forbid <laughs> price goes down he still is going to have to pay that debt back yeah if it doesn't go his direction but five-year maturity right he's got a having cycle plus and that is that is kind of you know i give him credit 
it's actually, I don't know if it's coincidental or it's Michael Saylor genius or both, which is five-year maturity is actually pretty standard in the corporate bar bond market and also in the convert market. So, and five years is a little more than a halving. So that's a good way to go. If the halvings play out, because this well, has been very different. Yeah, who knows? I mean, this is all making assumptions. It's true. It's true. And it's what it, I am questioning this year. Me and Danny talk a lot about this stuff. Like, why is this year different? And one of the conclusions I came to is that the markets never really does what you want or expect. It always seems to go against you. And I know that's not the case for everyone because we have successful traders, but it kind of does that you always get that feeling. And 2013 cycle, I experienced it in part, only mildly, yeah. but I experienced it. And then 2017 was essentially a repeat, very similar, yeah. massive blow off top. But like 2021, Bitcoin is known by everyone. Everyone knows it exists. Lots of people own it. And I think everyone expected the same. And my expectation is this is why we didn't get the same. This is why we have a different market. There's a very good case to be made exactly as you stated it. And that case is true in most other financial markets. The obvious trade is usually wrong, right? Um, it's the second order and third order effects and trades that tend to pay off. Uh, this I hate to say it, right? throwing my clients under the bus, but you know, when, when my clients, when I start to get the same phone call from multiple clients asking about something, it's often a sign that the opposite is about to happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, I don't want to say the retail trade, but basically when, when the crowd is all thinking alike, then you're on thin ice. And so I agree with you. And there's two frameworks I think in terms of one is, one is that it's just all noise. In other words, if you ask me, Peter, you know, how do I think about my investment thesis in Bitcoin? I think that I really don't know what's going to happen short term. If we're at 40 now, I don't know if we go to six figures or if we go down by half first. I don't know what the path is. I do have the long term multi-year thesis that Bitcoin is severely undervalued today compared to where it's likely to be in the future. And everything between now and then on that zigzaggy path between where we are today in price and future price, nobody knows. We try to tell stories. We look at charts. Uh, you know, we, we do, we try to do analysis of which holders are doing what and what long-term holders are accumulating and you know, what the retail is doing. And sometimes it's right. Maybe it's right more than 50% of the time but that just means that the other, you know, 46% of the time is wrong. And uh, you just live with that risk and that volatility. And so, yeah, I can make a case that, oh, actually this cycle looked very similar because you had the halving and we went up a multiple, but we didn't get the blow off top. So it's like, it was the same except for no blow off top. But that's kind of like saying, it's the same, except it was different, I know. <laughs> which is, which is kind of a BS, you know, excuse, right? Or perhaps the market is too mature for us to have that blow off top. Yeah. And this is where people try to speculate. So people talk about the institutional money and they say, okay, where the fuck is the institu institutional is money, man? And I'm somewhat persuaded by this argument. You know, this is an argument that, uh, our friend Bitcoin Tina makes, which is 
market structure has changed because of who the participants are. And I think that's true. And the problem is, who are the participants? Maybe it's just degen, degen trading hedge funds, <laughs> right? Maybe maybe the quote unquote institutions that have gotten in are, you know, three three you know pensions, you know the uh, the uh, the one that Pop sold, and uh, the one that uh, the uh, blue or the blue collar Bitcoin guys, you know, maybe their pension and like one other. And then maybe the rest of the institutional money is just a bunch of hedge fund traders that couldn't care less about the long-term prospects of Bitcoin and uh, took their 5X, you know, when they aped into the trade because of uh, Paul Tudor Jones and wrote it from 10 to 50, and now they're out. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of validity to the idea that money was taken off the table. Yeah. Because if, you're, if you've got a plus 5X on your money and you're a trader and you're judged on that, that's what going to be one of your best trades of the year. Yeah. Yeah. We saw it with that gold uh, fund, Ruffalo or whatever its name Yes. Was. The one that took a, a partial, they, they took a BTC position as well. Yeah. And then they just traded out of it. They're like, great, we got a multiple. We're, <laughs> we'll take our principal off the table and, uh, you know, and uh, some profit. Yeah. And yeah. probably everyone was tweeting, have fun staying poor. And they're probably like, well, that was a good trade. <laughs> they're saying we are having fun. That was a shame for the signal, though. Like a gold fund having a Bitcoin position was a strong signal for them to take it off. was just like, ah. Uh, but I mean, look, Andy, the way I look at it now is I, I, I don't look at any trade or any model that makes a prediction in the next year and think with any confidence it will happen. I'm like, the way I see it in a decade, I'm 95% sure every bit of Bitcoin I own now is going to be worth more. Like, hopefully significantly more, but more. And I'm like 80% sure in five years. The same is true. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next year. So I just keep stacking that beast. Keep stacking that beast. Keep stacking. That's the right framework. High, high confidence in the long term. Moderate confidence in the midterm. And in the short term, it's just rolling dice at the casino table. But but that's what sucks for everyone who's getting wrecked going long Bitcoin. Because you know, over the long term, every one of those stats is going to be harder to get. All the ones you've lost are only going to get harder to get back. That's the thing that really hurts. More than the money, I think that's the hardest thing to get your head around. I agree, which is why it's such a diabolical game, isn't it? This <laughs> is why people keep levering. They keep saying, oh my God, this is my chance to grab territory on this network. Yep. And uh, and then they get out over their skis. Or maybe they just say YOLO. Like maybe they say, I think there's a 30% chance that I get wrecked and stopped out, but I'm willing to take the, you know, like the two to one odds that I'll be a baller, I'll be a player because I'll be rich because I'll have made more. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the psychology of it. Yeah. Maybe. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, 
create an account and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is Gemini who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, it's sportsbet.io the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Also today, we have Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full-suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars. It's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and... I'm I'm still super bullish, and I'm super bullish for different reasons now, though. Um, not because of like all the traditional stuff is obvious to talk about, but one of the things that's making me super bullish is that I think that we are right at the early stages of other countries showing their hands. I think it's super bullish for the U.S. because it's beyond the point of banning. And yes, I know they want to. Uh, they want. I mean, I did conversation with Nick Barty earlier. He was like, 
There's massive companies here. Lots of people own Bitcoin. There's a uh, futures ETF. Uh, there's multiple institutional grade products. Uh, he said, we're, be we're beyond that point of banning. And there's that new rule that, that's been discussed of uh, transactions under $200 won't be taxed, yeah. which again is a super bullish thing. Yes, the USG is going to want to surveil it and make sure people are paying their taxes, yada, yada. But it's not going to get banned here. There's lots of rumors of a second South or Central American country adopting it. We're at that point where the nation state race for Bitcoin is about to begin. And that's going to happen between, that's going to really kick off between now and the next 10 years. Yes. I want to, so that framework and that timeline, I think are crucial. And this is one of the, I guess, hard lessons I've learned at Bitcoin, which is you get these waves of adoption. You know, first it was the cypherpunks and then it was the libertarians, you know, as well as some, you know, hardcore coders. And then we got retail in and then you got family offices and then hedge funds and then pensions and then governments. And then football clubs. And then football clubs, <laughs> yes. And every one of these sectors of society or piles of money, really, pockets of money, has its own view of the world and has its own timeline and has its own unique dynamics with respect to herd behavior and group behavior. So it's always hard, it's generally hard to be first. Although in the early days you get paid so well to be first mm -hmm. that it's worth taking a flyer. You don't wanna be last. You don't wanna be last. But the bigger the organization, of course, and the more committee group behavior it is, the more career risk you have as a decision maker. Now, obviously I'm getting into, you know, funds and or pensions and quote unquote institutional money. And then governments are like the ultimate uh, institution committee, you know, organization that's run by committee. Unless, <laughs> unless you're a small country that's basically run by an executive that for the most part does what he wants. And so when you look at it through that lens, it becomes clear who the early adopters will be. I mean, we say all this in retrospect, right? It's like, oh, of course it was, you know, of course it was Bikele. But there's some truth to that. And then the clock has started, as you say, and the game theory plays out. And then the question is, though, what is the timeline? And we Bitcoin believers who have a long-term thesis and know that Bitcoin is fundamentally severely undervalued today, and of course we should be taking as much territory on this network as we can afford to <laughs> without blowing ourselves up. What we sometimes forget is, is how long these cycles of adoption for those different segments of buyers and adopters uh, take to play out. And so I've been humbled in that regard. You know, I was in the camp of, in 20, so I didn't come till 2017 or I didn't buy till 2017. And I was, I was the guy, one of those guys was like, oh my God, it's happening now. Hyper-Bitcoinization is happening now in, Woo late, <laughs> woo, in late 2017. And it didn't. And, um, and eventually you come to realize that it could happen at any point. You don't know, there is that upside risk of the giant green candle and just mayhem. But unless and until that happens, it just looks like regular adoption curves across all these segments. 
And how long do these segments take to adopt? And governments, I'm, I'm, I did not anticipate a government getting in last year. So that was awesome. Uh-huh. But likewise with corporations, you know, Sailor fired the starting gun and then he publicized the playbook, right? He had the conference. I'm having deja vu because he just did his yeah. recent conference, which happened a year ago. And everybody was excited that it's happening. Uh, you know, the old uh, Ron Paul meme, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> and uh, and it just takes time. So we got we got a small allocation from Twitter. We got a large yes. allocation from Tesla. But do you know what I think we got? Which is the right way. I think we got a mass amount of small companies yeah. investing. Because I know the emails I get. Now, I've always explained that the podcast, we operate at Bitcoin Standard. We don't hold a lot of fiat. When we were in a good cash position, you know, beyond six to 12 weeks of cash, goes into Bitcoin. Always has done. I've talked about that a lot. And I get the emails in, I, but it's like, I run a sporting goods store. I want to have Bitcoin treasury. I run a chain of restaurants. I want a Bitcoin treasury. Yeah. And because it's, in the, it's a one-man decision, like MicroStrategy is kind of a one-man decision. These are one-man decisions or one-woman decision. These are like individuals who can go, I can do it. I think it's a lot harder for a board to collectively agree to make those decisions. So much harder. And I imagine the conversations have happened. Lots and lots of them have just ridden it off. But Twitter, it's, it's a Jack Dorsey decision. That's right. Tesla, it's an Elon Musk decision. So I think we've had a lot of, I, I, I don't know if you can call them institutions, but institutional adoption from little companies. And I think that's the right way and that's a good thing. We just haven't had what we expected was all the blue chips coming in, the S&P, S&P companies coming in, putting down 100 million, 500 million, a billion. I think that's what people expected. And maybe, maybe that's just not gonna be the case. And as you said, that's a better outcome. Of course, you get a better distribution of coins. Exactly. You get the small businesses who've gotten royally screwed, especially in the last couple of years in the pandemic. Yep. Right. Forced to shut down while these other big businesses continue to mint record profits. So in that respect, it is a distribution of coins issue. It's a wider wealth distribution. It's also a, uh, you know, solo shop, sole proprietorship, small business story. And you gotta love that. Um, I love that just as a citizen, just as an average guy. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's uh, that's way better than, I don't know, that's way better than Facebook taking a big position and uh, claiming their territory on the Bitcoin blockchain and riding it up and getting however many more tens of billions of dollars richer for Zuckerberg. They might not have the money right now to make that investment. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people would have got wrecked this week on Facebook. Yeah. I don't, you know, Facebook's a funny thing. I don't follow it that closely other than I'm quite confident that uh, I'm happy when there's alternatives to Facebook. I am happy to not live in the metaverse. country of Facebook, AKA the metaverse. <laughs> 
that that verse is not the verse that I want to live in. And uh, fortunately, I think we're going to have choices, and uh, hopefully, there'll be. Uh, hopefully, Bitcoin will be the coin of the realm. This is a fantastic whiskey, by the way. I'm enjoying it. It's good. So, before we change topics, predictions for this year. Oh boy, predictions. Are for we? This year. I think it's like binary. Actually, I think we either go up, we stay the same, or go down. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, we're either in a bear market. Or we're we're in a, a uh, like Dan Hill talks about this like lengthening cycle, yeah. And that's all it is. We've not seen the top. I think that I had a personal realization, which is it's just long term money and it's the long term play, and you allocate accordingly, and that's kind of all that matters. In other words. The only reason I care about what price does in the next 11 months is if I plan to exit in the next 11 months. And which you don't. Which I don't. Although, although, here's what I'll allow for, Peter. I will allow for the possibility that if you're literally all in Bitcoin, like your entire net worth, then after you've made a multiple, Maybe you want to pull some chips off the table. Maybe, you know, maybe you do feel pain when number goes down. Maybe you don't have alligator blood. <laughs> maybe your veins don't run cold with ice. And so, you know, this is, by the way, how coins get distributed. I mean, I know this is heresy, but like, uh, if everyone just holds for hodls forever, then nobody else gets any coins. Now, fortunately, we don't have to worry about that practically because there will always be sellers in the market. But as a practical matter, I don't fault folks who find it, go in heavy, make a multiple, and then make a decision that, okay, you know, I, I really don't want to screw this up. I've made, you know, I've changed my life for the better. I've really uh, made uh, either generational wealth or enough wealth that I can change my life and not be a wage slave. And maybe I'm okay taking some off the table with the caveat of taxes, right? <laughs> or no taxes. Let's bring it back to Southern California, shall we? In the discussion. <laughs> Uh, if you're a California taxpayer, you're not selling Bitcoin. I'm, let me, let me phrase that differently. I'm a California taxpayer. I am not probably going to sell any Bitcoin that's taxable, hopefully ever because the tax burden is so substantial. How bad is it? Okay. 20% federal plus 3.8% Medicare surcharge, California, uh, income tax falls the same for ordinary earned income as for capital gains, okay? So uh, max bracket California is like 13.3. Not saying that I'm max bracket, but if hypothetically I were. <laughs> what are we up to, 36% here? Yeah, basically we're around 37. 37%, Jesus. So more than a third. And if you've made a multiple on your investment, then basically the whole, you know, the whole 
piece of what you sell is getting taxed or substantially all of it. And so you got to really get the timing right if you're trying to yeah. trade that. We so, get we get like 20% cap gains in the UK. Yeah. See, that's, you know, that's substantially better. And uh, what happens if you move, move state? Do, does California follow you? Uh, paging Elon Musk. <laughs> he moved to Texas. If you can demonstrate that you've actually left. So, for example, you're spending most of your time in the new place. Ideally, you sell your residence, right? You don't keep your house in California. Facts and circumstances matter. But, yeah, under current law, once you leave, if you sell subsequent, you're subject to the state that you moved to, like Texas, as a hypothetical. There have been proposals in the... Uh, legislature here in california I think, I think you told me this over the barbecue yeah exactly to, to basically make it retroactive or put a tail on it so it's like oh no when you lived here you owe the taxes and even if you leave that liability follows you can they do that i think we're gonna find out yeah and i think the reason we're gonna find out is because we've got this insane competition going on which i love I love Texas and I love Florida and I love Wyoming saying, come here, wave them in. We'll take all the Bitcoiners. We'll take all the entrepreneurs. We'll take all the guys that don't want to pay 13.3% to the state of California. Come here, make your business. Uh, you know, we've got a lot to offer is what they're saying. Yeah. And they do have a lot to offer. And the, and the, you know the the i think the reality is we're going to see substantial competition because we can within this union of states and there's going to be reactions there's going to be you know one punch thrown from one side and a reaction from the other and it's going to be all fun to watch and look if it gets bad enough tax wise here i'll leave i love la my family's here i grew up here my parents are here my in-laws are here but if they turn the screws tight enough, you gotta you gotta cry uncle and vote with your feet, right? Balaji would be proud of you. <laughs> as he as he says, you got your uh, you got your ballot, and you got your wallet, and you got your feet, and you get to vote with all three, and you make your choices, and uh, yeah, and two, are, and two of them are effective in a place like <laughs> California. That's right. That's right. The ballot is is completely uh, completely useless. Although I will say, you know, I've done my small part to uh, to help out Erica Rhodes. I hope she wins. the The primarying is a uh, winning. The primary is an interesting dynamic. Would love to see the backside, not literally, <laughs> figuratively, of Brad Sherman. He's a bit of a well. I don't want to say the c word, but he's. A bit... <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 not friendly to the Bitcoiners. He's not. He's not at all. He likes the bankers. Do you know what's really interesting, Peter? Is I accidentally spoke with a client about this because you know I'm an as an advisor, I'm not supposed to like pitch political stuff to my clients. And uh, I got some feedback. There are other people who are not happy about Brad Sherman for other reasons. There are plenty of people who dislike Brad Sherman, who hate him, to be honest, other than Bitcoiners. Many reasons to uh, to want to see him out of office. Well, 
I've interviewed Erika Rose. Uh, I think she's got fantastic energy. I think she's a breath of fresh air. Uh, I think she's doing her live spaces tonight with uh, Jack Dorsey about UBI. Uh, I hope she wins. She's a wonderful human. If you're listening, Erika, I love you. Good luck tonight and good luck. I hope you do it. She's wonderful. I agree completely. Her energy is unparalleled. Her heart's in the right spot. And uh, she's the type of person I want to see uh, running things in Washington. Do you know what else I think is kind of interesting? Josh Mandel. Don't know anything about Josh Mandel. Tell me. So Morgan Harper's up against him. Mm. And uh, Danny, see if you can find this video of Josh Mandel debating Morgan Harper about Bitcoin. Um, He's pro-Bitcoin. And he put out this great speech. He was talking about if you're if you're for big government and small people, then you should be against Bitcoin. But if you're for small government and big people, you should be for Bitcoin. And it was just like, wow. Love that. That's the kind of shit we want to hear. That's a great framing. Yeah. So okay. Let's talk ESG. Yeah. I haven't read this article clearly. Because when I asked you about your latest article, I thought we we're talking about don't get wrecked. No worries, no worries. It's a, it's a short one. It's on Bitcoin Magazine, so I think it came out Monday, and it is exactly what you said, which is ESG is three letters, not one. And the energy, I'm not going to dwell on the energy because that's been well covered. It's directionally going the right way. It is, and the narrative is going the right way, and we're winning. And actually, it's funny, when you and I published our article a year ago, a uh, separate one, I was, I was quite worried about the, about the environmental narrative, and it feels like, yeah, it feels like we're winning. So anyway, so the S and the G, the social and the governance, I mean, this stuff is kind of obvious, but I guess I'll start with governance first, which is, okay, you got an algorithm, that's Bitcoin. Incorruptible uncorruptible anyone can enter like literally if you have internet access which is actually a barrier that some don't acknowledge right i mean if you look over the entire world not not everyone has a smartphone not everyone has uh high-speed internet although you don't even need high bandwidth internet you just need low bandwidth internet but not everyone has internet access nevertheless billions of people do and so that opens up the field and that's what fairness is all about I mean, that is one of the beauties of the internet, which has been true from day one, except for the internet giants that have kind of taken over. But aside from that, it is an accessible platform. And Bitcoin doesn't care what you look like, how old you are, where you're from, what language you speak, how much money you have. What you eat. What you eat. Bitcoin, what you drink. What you drink. Bitcoin doesn't care. So, so that's huge. Um, in contrast, the dollar is run by a, depending on whether you count it, 12 or 16 person committee. Average age, I don't remember the stats, I have them in the article, but you know, it's not young people, <laughs> it's old people. Uh, I almost don't want to get into what color they are, but uh, they're not very colorful. You're talking about old white men, aren't you? Basically, I'm talking about old white dudes. I think, I think we could say that. You know what's interesting though? I think we can't say that. I will give credit, at least uh, there's more female representation. 
So if I was making the, you know, the progressive case, the progressive case for the Federal Reserve. The progressively. <laughs> that's a show title, that's Danny. Time. Yeah, we're going to a progressive case for the Fed. What's going right with the Fed? Uh, I guess you could say that what's going right with the Fed is there are some women on the FOMC. Are they old white women? Basically, yes. So that's what, so that's what it comes down to is uh, in addition to the old white men, you have old white women, generally speaking. So that's the contrast. And then, you know, obviously you've got the, oh, by the way, what are these what are these guys doing on the side? And they are mostly guys. They're day trading their accounts. <laughs> we just had multiple cases. Resignations. I know. I know. These guys these guys these guys trading. And by the way, it wasn't just um one of the guys was trading one of the levered REITs, uh, mortgage REITs, real estate investment trusts. And these, this is like, if you were to pick a stock in the universe that is most sensitive to Federal Reserve policy, this is the stock you would trade. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of obvious. It's kind of obvious. It's so obvious. And so that's, that's where you end up. So anyway, I guess the, the, uh, the bright side is it was two old white guys who were day trading and are not there anymore but they've probably been replaced by two old white guys. Well, we'll see. There's open seats there. We're going to we're going to find out who their replacements are. So, and then on the social angle, and this is stuff people understand which is yes, early bitcoiners hold more if they held on to their coins, which is a big if, right? If they didn't sell them in the up market, if they didn't panic and sell them in the down market, if they didn't lever them and get the rug yanked, all these ifs. If somehow, by some miracle, you were an early adopter of Bitcoin and you held on to your coins, then yes, you have a big stake in this new economic system. Nevertheless, as people accumulate wealth, as I described before, once they've made multiples, they start to peel off pieces because they do want to live their lives. They do, uh, you know, maybe they do want to buy a house uh, maybe they do want to live reasonably rather than, uh, maybe they do want to own a chair, you know, maybe they sold all their chairs so they could stack, but now they want, they want to have a chair, just one chair, just one, you know, they don't want to stand when they're doing their podcast recordings. We've want, got a lot of chairs in here. How many, one, two, three, four, got a lot of chairs in here. There's like 15 chairs in so here. So many chairs. The owner of this place is definitely not a Bitcoin. Definitely 15 chairs. Definitely not. Definitely not. So, um, yeah, so, so coins get distributed. And then when we're living in a system where there's actual economic sis, uh, signal coming out of the monetary system, rather than just, yeah, rather than just a 12 or 16 older Caucasian PhDs in economics deciding what the price of money is going to be, then yeah, maybe people can save their time. Maybe they can accumulate wealth. Maybe they don't have to pay financial advisors like me to try and beat inflation. You know, I get to be the, the house that takes a rake, right, on that investment plan. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that won't be necessary. I think that'll be a better world. I think uh, that'll be people being able to save. And then, of course, just the whole how many billions of people live outside of systems that have actual effective property rights, right, where... 
someone's gonna someone's gonna steal your cash because you live in a place where uh, it's hard to secure your property. Bitcoin fixes that too. See, this is a point on the SG. We've got a great defensive line when people come on the attack. When the Senator Warren comes out, starts rambling bullshit about proof of work. We've got a great defensive line. You know, we work hard. But I'm like, where's our offensive line? Where? Wh why are we not out there talking about the S and the G? Communicating the benefits across society that Bitcoin will bring. Like, how do we land that message? Let's get that offensive line out there. I think that's huge. I agree completely. We're always, Bitcoin is always playing defense on the narrative in general. In fact, it's hard for me to see where we've been out ahead of it, right? When have we been out ahead of it? I'm trying to think of the specific examples. I guess it's always been the inflation-proof asset. That's where we've been at. That's where we've been out of ahead of you know the existing system. But yeah, who, who's uh, who's telling the positive story and and uh, who's listening? I guess the good news. This is what's good about number go up, right? When number goes up, people have money. I mean, Bitcoiners have money, mm -hmm. and uh, they can afford to spend a few sats to support those in government. Um, now there's a problem with that too though, which is sometimes something I sometimes worry about, which is it's really hard. Well, first of all, there X percent of Bitcoiners just don't believe in politics. So they're like, I'm out, I'm not participating. I'm not playing this game. I'm just gonna hodl and you know, they can't take, they can't take it away from me. They can't take my coin. So Fine. Screw them. Yeah, fine. Okay. So for the rest of us who live in the real world, <laughs> uh, we would prefer uh, that this go the hard way. Excuse me. This go not the hard way and instead go the easy way. That's something you and I have talked about The hard about path, the easy path. Exactly. Let's take the easier path. And that costs money. And it's really hard to part with your sats when you're so sure that Bitcoin's going to 100K this year. Says says every man in this room. Uh, if we wind back the clock six months or <laughs> nine months, but I don't know. I'm a Bitcoin spender. It's good on you. Good on you. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, if 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 calculated correctly, I can't remember the exact percentages, but in measured in pounds or dollars, whatever you want, I can spend probably five to ten percent of my stack every year and never run out that's the right way to look at it slow slow spending of the stack you've got income right you've got a job yep this is what this is what i get a lot of inbound a lot of inquiry folks especially in legacy finance you know guys working in investment banks guys working at funds guys working in wealth management they're like i figured it out bitcoin's the thing uh, what do I do? <laughs> do I quit my job? Uh, my current firm isn't keen on Bitcoin, so I can't do it here. I can work away in the fiat mines, stack into Bitcoin over time, but it's soul sucking. And so, you know, what am I to do? What am I to do? And it's not an easy answer. I mean, I'd love to tell them, you know, leave it all behind, 
quit tomorrow, <laughs> screw the fiat world, go get a Bitcoin job. The reality is to get a job in Bitcoin that's going to pay you even a reasonable fraction in fiat terms of what you're making in fiat land, uh, you got to really hustle. Uh, you probably got to get lucky. And uh, it's not so easy. So for the majority of people, well, there's a range of outcomes. For many people, the answer is keep working your fiat job, keep doing that, stack sats, you know, educate your peers, do your small part basically to help people that you touch adopt Bitcoin. For some component or section of people, maybe you can go a little farther. Maybe you side hustle it, right? That's how a lot of people get in. They start doing something in Bitcoin or they work part-time in Bitcoin while they're also working their existing fiat job. And then if you're ready, if you can afford it, uh, or if you don't have too many dependents, or you know, if you can go a couple of years without things working out, yeah, maybe you do quit tomorrow and just go for it. And uh, it also comes down to conviction, right? If you got the long-term view and fiat don't matter to you, Go for it. Do you want me to tell you my thesis on it? Tell, yeah, I do. So we have two primary scarce resources, which is Bitcoin and time. Yep. And I'm 43. I don't know if I'm going to live to 44, 54, 64, 74. No idea. But and then people who say money doesn't buy happiness, there's like a caveat to that. Being broke is shit i've been broke and getting wrecked and thinking you're going to lose your house sucks i've been there been very close during the last during the history of doing this podcast i got very close to losing my house so being broke sucks but once you get to that point where it's like i can pay my bills i can go to the supermarket walmart tesco whatever i can do my shopping and i don't have to have a budget if my buddies call me up i want to go for a drink i can go if I need to get on a flight tomorrow, get on that flight. If you can cover all your basics and you're okay, that's great. Everything after that's lumpy. It's like, do I want this car? Do I want this house? Do I want this jet? Do I want this island? It's all lumps, okay? I personally don't care about the lumps and I've got the basics sorted. So what I care about is maximum use of time to have the most fun. So what I want to do is I want to travel, I want to treat people. If there's a concert on and it's sold out, it's $400 a ticket, I want to go, I want to get it. There's a football match I want to go to, I want to get it. So I want to live the experiences. So I want to make sure when I when I get to that last moment, when I collapse, clinching my heart, and stand on like a boulevard, my time is up. I want to know... I've done the maximum amount of things I can in that time to enjoy myself, myself, with my family, my friends. So I have a spend Bitcoin thesis. I will continually, I've done my tour of duty. I've done my first four years. I'm in the green now. Okay. Once you're in the green, you've done your tour of duty. Everything gets a bit easier. Yeah. And I'm, I will keep buying Bitcoin, but I'll keep spending it. Like every, I price things in Bitcoin. So I'll give you a good example. Uh, 49ers went to see them against the Rams, right? 49 is my Amazing. team. Um, have you been to that stadium? No. Holy shit. That is a noisy stadium. But uh, 49 is my team. 
back when I was a kid, they were the first team that I saw play on TV. Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jerry Rice. That was like my year. I was like, they're Dream the team. They're the biggest. They're the best. I'll support them. And then they pretty much suck since. Uh, but I remember that time though because I'm only a few years off you. Yeah, and that was all anyone talked about. These guys were amazing. They were everybody's idols. They were true. They were true superstars, rock stars, unparalleled. At least in my cohort your cohort so i go to the game with the uh, uh you know colkin mm-hmm. i'm with colkin yep. and we're talking through and I, he was like if they get to the final you're gonna go and i was like i think so and what i looked at as i as like a once in a lifetime opportunity to go and see the 49ers in a super bowl would i spend ten thousand dollars on that ticket no fucking chance but i will spend 0.25 bitcoin <laughs> because i can look at my stack and go I'm going to sacrifice that part of that stack to have that experience, to live through that. And that's what I do. I'm, I always look at the stack and go, am I, am, I, am I happy to lose a bit this year? And I will, I, like I say, back in dollar pound terms, 5 to 10% a year, I, I imagine I can do. And the reason I do it, what the, the, the moment that made me realize is back in, I think 2018, 2019, I put $400 of Bitcoin in my uh, uh, blue wallet in my um, lightning wallet and then at one point like in the last year when I went to El Salvador that was like three and a half thousand dollars worth wow and I yep. can't spend it and I this wallet feels like I'm never going to run out of money <laughs> I've spent a bit and every time I go to El Salvador I'm using it constantly and I buy my beef steak and I'm going to buy my Real Bedford jersey using this but if Bitcoin continues to go up, this wallet seems like it's like the never-ending wallet of money. So that's my thesis. It's like, I want to fill time because what would suck is if I waited that five or 10 years. I, I, I'll explain it in a different way. Um, sorry, I'm taking over the show here. No, 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 it's fine. I want to, I want to respond. But let me tell you, tell you the, the reason why this became really important. My, my dad, fucking bless him, a hard worker. He's a hard worker. His whole life, engineer, shift worker, aircraft engineer worked 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 set his goal of retiring at 60 ended up retiring at 61 uh him and my mum bought a place in ireland you know planned for this beautiful retirement uh and he worked you know 30 what 20 to 61 41 years he worked four decades yeah. four decades he worked his absolute nuts off and within a decade, my mom was dead. Mm. You know, uh, they had their two world cruises. And for two and a half years of that decade, she had cancer. So she couldn't travel. She couldn't do anything. The poor fucker worked all that time. And, he, and then he got robbed of that time with my mom, that retirement time. You know, I, I, I assume like he'd expected at least two decades, hopefully three. But they essentially got one decade. But they really got s- seven years. And then we found out she had cancer. And it's like... You don't know when this shit's going to end or what's going to happen to you. And I want to just feel like I've lived as much as I can through that. I love that perspective. And I'll tell you mine as well. Okay. Which rhymes, but it's a little different. So I agree completely that time and freedom are what, are what we buy with our assets, whatever we have. Either because we've labored and we saved that up for years and decades or because we inherited or got luckier, you know, who knows what. And 
the time is truly scarce, but there's also the question of, are you having fun or are you working? And good advice from my dad, credit to him. He's also my business partner. And uh, he told me, yeah, find, find a job that doesn't feel like work or only feels like work some of the time. Because there is a hybrid there and there's degrees of, there's basically degrees of difficulty and degrees of difference between pure slogging, you know, just going to the salt mines. Maybe that's what your dad did, I don't know. And then there's jobs that are fun, doing what you love and you get paid for it. And so if you're lucky enough to find the latter, absolutely do that, jump on it. That may actually extend your life that may extend your time, believe it or not, because I've seen, believe me, I've seen clients, I've seen people who uh, quit their jobs and they deteriorate and die soon after. So if you find that passion and you can do it, and for more and more people, that's Bitcoin. So that again is hope. I mean, if you're into this thing, if you're all in, if you figured out that the world's gonna be a better place if Bitcoin reaches its potential, and I think it will, then by all means, uh, find that spot, find that job, take the pay cut. Uh, you know, work for, if you can afford it, work for a lower salary uh, because you are a part of this thing, which is the most important thing that's happening on planet Earth. Convince me, anyone in this room, if you dare, that there's anything more important going on than Bitcoin in terms of its future potential. And why would you not want to take any opportunity that's given to you, if you can afford to, to make your small part to, to contribute this, to this thing? Well, you're taking a pay cut for a time raise. Yeah. And that's a good trade. Yeah. That's exactly. a really good trade. It is. That that's That's exactly right. That's where we agree. And the other thing too is, it's good to think about optionality, which is to say, <laughs> maybe if you leave your TradFi job, your legacy finance job, you take a 50% or more pay cut to work in Bitcoin, which is actually probably not too far off the truth today, literally, right? You got the Wall Street job, now you're working for a Bitcoin company, big pay cut. Yeah, maybe you get a decent slice of equity, but that's speculative and maybe it pays off in the future. But you're also making your resume in Bitcoin. And this again gets to the, you know, the admonition that I give to people, which is like, look, get out there, publish, make your voice heard. You want to write something, do it. You want to do a pod, go for it. Anything that you can do to get out there, make your opinion heard if it's a good opinion and get involved with the conversation, absolutely go for it because it's still so early. I mean, uh, yeah, the, if, if Bitcoin reaches its potential, which will be orders of magnitude bigger than it is today, my God, having some small role in this world will pay dividends in terms of multiples, in terms of your human capital, in terms of what you can do in the industry and for the world in the future, because it's uh, it's this ever-growing 
multiplying, expanding organism. And uh, just having a piece of that, hodlings, you know, buying and hodling and stacking stats is the easy, easiest thing. Next is spending your time and your reputation uh, and committing to it and making a career. And there's just, there's so many ways to win and, uh, and contribute to Bitcoin. Yes, brother. Yeah. People, uh, get in people, keep learning, keep adding, uh, keep orange pilling your neighbors and your friends and your family and, uh, don't use leverage, but, uh, but do use, uh, everything else that's unlevered and, uh, keep uh keep this thing growing if if we keep contributing and if we keep learning we can't we can't lose i mean the the facts and circumstances where bitcoin today is in 2022 where you got governments coming in where as you said there's almost zero probability of prohibition in the u.s or free countries i mean the long-term uh the long-term potential is just so exciting and also read everything that andy edstrom writes his book why buy bitcoin and every article uh andy that was a that's a great place to end it and uh i'm glad to have you as a friend here in la when i come in and every interview we do is a pleasure but this is by far the the best show we've made it's good to sit opposite you drink a whiskey and make it Tell people where to buy your book and where to follow you. And obviously the tailwind message that Corey Clipson will smash you around the face if you don't do it. <laughs> Pleasure's mine, Peter. Yeah. Why buy Bitcoin uh, on Amazon? Uh, Swan Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com forward slash Andy. I didn't get to mention that, you know, we're, we're building a product basically for financial advisors to get their clients into Bitcoin. So that's swanbitcoin.com forward slash advisor. Twitter is Edstrom Andrew. And uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure, Peter. And uh, happy to be on this journey with you. Okay, man. Well, listen, take care. And next time I'm back here in California, I'm sure we're going to be hanging out, watching football, eating steak, talking Bitcoin. Um, thank you for just being around. And whenever I've needed you for a show, you've always turned around and said, yeah, I'll do it. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you and good luck. Guaranteed, Peter. Come, come eat meat next time you're in town. All right, man. All right, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 